Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the audio ministry of Lighthouse Baptist Church in Schenectady, New York. For more great content, please visit us at lighthousebaptist.org. Now let's open our hearts and minds to the Word of God. you to turn with me to Luke 13 if you would. And I'll give you all a chance to get there. When you get there, stand. Then I'll know you're all there. That's an easy way to know, right? If you can, stand. If you can, if you can't, that's okay. I got to talk a little louder. I just got that notification. The battery went out. I'm sorry, and uh, we'll see what we can do. Maybe I, Mike, you, you want to get that and get put that battery back in? Or what? I appreciate that, brother. By the way, if that faith promise thing, then green slips, if you want. You can put those right into the offering plate, and David would get them uh, so that uh, he can give you a tally shortly. God is good to us. Isn't he good to us? Uh, more than we deserve, obviously, and less than he deserves uh, that we give back to him. But uh, we want to do what we can to bless him in every way that we can. Every time I stand in this pulpit, uh, in this sanctuary, I consider it a great uh, privilege and an honor to stand here. So... Uh, so let's just thank him for that. In Luke four, uh, 13, I want you to just read with me. In 31 through 35, it says, The same day there were certain of the Pharisees, saying to him, Get thee out and depart thence, for Herod will kill thee. And he said unto them, Go ye and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out devils, and I do cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I shall be perfected. Nevertheless, I must walk today and tomorrow and a day following, for it cannot be that a prophet perish out of Jerusalem. And then he says this, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which killest the prophets and stonest them that are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together as a hen doth gather her uh, brood under her wings? And ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. And verily I say unto you, you shall not see me until the time come when ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Father, help me now, Lord. I need your help. Um, this, is, this is your word. I don't want to mess up, Lord. I want to I preach it the way you would want it preached and the thought process to be established in our minds, but also, Lord, some of the truths that come out of every scripture to touch every single heart in the sanctuary. Uh, so, Lord, you, you do the work. Lord, allow and give me the power to say what I need to say in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be uh, you may be seated. There it is. I'm slowly getting my voice back from my seven months of COVID, which I'm praising the Lord for. Um, uh, some people have noticed that, and then, uh, but I I've had a hard time speaking. Uh, with any volume uh, because, of, because of that, whatever it did to my vocal cords and stuff like that. But I'm starting to get it back, and I thank God for that. Uh, this uh, message I've entitled, Let's Roll. Let's Roll. 
And I'm going to start it with what happened on September 11th, 2001. Um, you're all familiar with this. It changed the course of history, uh, changed the course of everything, actually, in this world, and uh, the way we travel, and the way we see things, uh, the perspectives that we have on different events and things that happen to our lives. So on September 11th, 2001, the world stood still. A young 32-year-old father of two boys named Todd Beamer uttered those famous words, let's roll. How many remember that? Do you remember that? Okay. He was a company executive from Highland, New Jersey, uh, who had left Newark, New Jersey at 8 a.m., the 8 a.m. flight bound for San Francisco. So in mid-flight, the jet was hijacked. You all know that. And some, somehow during that hijacking, he was able to make a phone call connection to the GTE supervisor named Lisa Jefferson. Uh, she talked with him about 13 minutes before the plane crashed, and Todd Beamer told Lisa that he and others on that plane had decided they were, going, they were not going to be pawns to the hijackers. Uh, he knew that what he was up against, because Lisa told him of the other hijacked flights, so he knew what had happened at, down in New York. He told Lisa there were three hijackers on that plane armed uh, with knives. He did not know their nationalities or their intentions, but one of the men had what appeared to be a bomb wrapped around him. So Beamer said that he could account for 37 of the 38 passengers on the flight. The hijackers had forced 27 of them into the first class area near the front. But Beamer and uh, nine other passengers plus five flight attendants were ordered to sit on the back floor and the rear of the plane. So it gave him more opportunity. He did not know the whereabouts of the pilot or the co-pilot uh, and the remaining passenger. Uh, he said a flight attendant had told him the pilot and co-pilot had been forced from the cockpit that they may be wounded. That's all he knew. And he said two of the hijackers were in the cockpit with the door locked behind them, and the one with the bomb stayed in the back of the plane near him, right, in that group. So with him uh, were others uh, who placed cell phone calls at that time. Um, there was Jeffrey Glick, 31 years old, a sales manager for a technology firm. There was Thomas Burnett, Jr., 38, a California businessman. Mark Bingham, 31, a former college rugby player from California. Beamer evidently knew Jeffrey Glick because he referred to him by his first name. And Beamer said the plane appeared to have changed direction at several times. Later, it would be determined that it had flown west and somewhere around Cleveland. It turned back uh, to the go southeast towards Pittsburgh. Uh, Be uh, Beamer then told Lisa that he and the others had decided to jump on the hijacker wearing the bomb and an article in Newsweek uh, it, went, it was a little more uh, told a little bit more it said more than once he cried out for his savior he was a saved man and the Newsweek report said Beamer just before the hero heroic plan went into motion he began to recite the Lord's Prayer and he had everybody recite them with him. In fact, he had the prayer with him in a book that he was reading. And, uh, and then after he closed that prayer, he said, are you ready, guys? And then he says, let's roll. And the rest is history. His wife, also named Lisa, referring to the let's roll command, said, that's Todd. He said, my, bo the, my boys even say that to this day. Whenever they are getting ready to go anywhere, Todd would say, come on, guys, let's roll. After those infamous words, there fell an eerie silence and everyone knew the inevitable had happened. 
When the official crash time was 9.58 a.m., the threat was now over, although it was not clear then what Beamer, Glick, and Burnett, and Bingham, and the others were able to do. We know now in hindsight from the cockpit, uh, the cockpit voice recorder that they wrestled with the hijackers and as a result the plane crashed, killing them all. But heroically they foiled uh, the uh, hijackers' attempt to fly the plane into the Capitol building or the White House. They weren't sure which one they were intended to do, but they were going to go into one of the two. Lisa Beamer later said the reports of her husband's heroic role in this had made her life worth living again. Now, I, I don't know how you can read that and not be touched. That cry, let's roll, went down in history, but what was really heroic, a part of the legacy of this man, was what he said prior to let's roll. He said, we will not be pawns to the hijackers. And I think about what's going on in our country right now with this last vote that the, we just went through. And what happened in New York, I don't know. It just seems like the blue states got bluer, the red states got redder. Uh, and and, and I, I don't understand what's, uh, what the liberal logic is in all of this. But I want you to know that I think the same way right now. We are not going to be pawns to these hijackers. Uh, Lisa said she, he was saved. The world witnessed a faith that held up in the face of fear, a faith that is still challenging us today, and a world full of wickedness. So the greatest thing we possess in this life is our testimony, amen? It really is, and, and so often is wasted through fear, or it's wasted through silence, or through a ruined a life because of hypocrisy. So... Um, America is now becoming a pawn to the hijackers out there who want to bring in all the socialistic ideas. They're trying to steal our country. They're trying to steal our cities. Now they're trying to steal our children, right, with these new um, critical race theory things. And, and now it's even uh, infiltrating our churches. And as a pastor, this is what bothers me the most um, because how Satan, in his subtlety, can... Uh, develop in the mind of, of a man or a woman who is a Christ believer a doubt that what they have done in salvation is not real or where they're serving him there's and how a, or a, a different type of God that's out there than what we've been taught to learn all these years in this country. New York has especially become pawns to the king of hijackers. I mean, when we're down to uh, aborting a baby at the last second and even afterwards, uh, we are in big trouble and we're in hijacked, we've been hijacked by Satan himself. So why did I pick this theme for today? Well, there are many lessons we can learn from the words of Jesus this morning uh, that Todd Beamer's testimony relates to, and I want to share them with you. Uh, because I don't want anybody giving up in these days ahead. You know, we're still, we still live in a free nation. Uh, we still can serve Christ here in this nation. We can still come to church uh, and for the most part not have a fear of somebody walking through the door, uh, you know, to, to destroy the church. But, but things are changing drastically around here, and, and the country is dividing. It's going two ways. It's going far left and far right, uh, and, we're, and we're missing out on so many things. But Christ here... Um, said some things that really got a hold of me, and I thought I'd like to share them with you this morning. What saving souls means. I mean, there's some good truths here, and there's three main ones that I see here that I want to share with you this morning. Number one is, 
The saving souls means you've got to lay down your fears so others may live. You have to lay down your fears so that others may live. What Todd was saying in his heroic act is, you tell that old Obama, uh, Osama, sorry, Freudian slip, <laughs> Freudian slip, you tell that old Osama bin Laden, he's not going to stop us. Just like Jesus said, you tell that old fox, I'm not going to be stopped, right? So as Flight 93 hurled towards the destruction, Beamer's thoughts were not on himself. His words testifies that, because you couldn't see that, but you knew that it weren't on his health. They were on doing the right thing to save lives in that flight. And he saved a lot of lives. His thoughts were on doing whatever it would take to stop this evil and give them the best chance for, for survival. And that's what I'm asking all of you. And that's what God is expecting of us, to do whatever it takes. Right? He's conquered evil on the cross as far as eternal, for our eternal uh, destination. But there's a lot of evil still in this world that we have to face, and we need to get through this. So what Jesus was clearly saying in verse 32 is that you tell that old fox, nothing's going to stop me. Right? You can tell our president of the United States there's nothing going to stop this movement that we have. We hear about the blue movement and the, you know, all of the socialist movement. There's nothing going to stop the movement of God. Uh, in 1 John 3.16 says, Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay our lives down for the brethren. Who are our brethren? Have you ever thought about it? Who are your brethren? Well, think about this. Your brother or sister is that man or woman who just... Uh, who's lost in sin waiting for you to come to him or her. Uh, he is, it's he or she is that one sitting next to you on a bus or, or on a plane. He or she is the one cashing you out at, at Walmart or at Price Chopper. He or she is the one working aside you or even the one fighting against you and all of your beliefs. He or she may be the, your boss, your neighbor, or your greatest opponent. For whosoever shall do the will of God, the same as my brother and my sister and my mother. I think about that. Every time I meet somebody, I think, this might be my next brother. This might be my next sister. The will of God is that you lay down your life and all of your fears for others as Jesus did for you. And some of them will become your sisters and brothers in Christ. I love that thought, don't you? You just become, you have a, you're expanding, your, soul winning is about expanding God's family, but it's also expanding your family. As the Father knoweth me, even so, even so now, I, 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 the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. He says, therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it up again. No man taketh it from me. He said, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it up again. This commandment have I received of my Father, and we have received the same commandment. So this means letting go of your fears and excuses for the sake of others getting saved. And this also means loving others as Christ loved you, even though they may not be so lovable. First uh, John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out all fear. So fear was not going to stop Todd, and fear did not stop Jesus as a man. Remember, he was God in skin. I heard somebody say that. It was pretty cool. I must go, nevertheless, means, nevertheless means I must go regardless. Right? Regardless. Has the idea of regardless. I have to do this, Jesus was saying. So regardless of my fears of how it might hurt me, 
um, will not dictate what I must do out of love for that person or that my love for God. I have to do that. I have to do that for them, and I will obey his commands, and no fear taxes are going to stop me from doing that. So they can threaten me all they want. I'm going to preach from this pulpit what God has taught, uh, taught me and told me to preach in this pulpit. And they're going to try to shut down the pulpits, I'll tell you right now. Unless somehow we come back in this thing in a whirlwind manner, uh, they're going to start telling me what you can preach and what you can't preach in the pulpits of, of America. Beamer said, let's roll. Jesus was saying in a sense the same thing. Let's just get to Jerusalem. This is where we got to get to because I got a job to do there. Um, in other words, regardless of Herod and his threats, I must go to Jerusalem. So regardless of what's going on in our country and the threats that we get from our president and everybody else for how we feel and what we believe, I must do the work of Christ here in America. And I hope you have that same feeling. We just must keep going. In other words, regardless of, uh, of how they threaten us, it doesn't matter. Getting to Jerusalem was not an option to Jesus, uh, and getting to, to, to get the souls with the gospel of Jesus Christ should not be an option with us. It's there he would so show every soul in the world that he created how much he loved them on that cross. But God commended or demonstrated towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So there were souls that were going to die and spend eternity in hell. If Jesus did not get to Jerusalem, he needed to get there as his father had appointed him to do. In other words, necessity was laid upon him. And that should be the feeling of every Christian, especially the people of this church. Necessity is laid upon us, right? For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of of myself. For necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is me if I preach not the gospel. 1 Kings 9.16. Paul also said the love of Christ constrained him. It was the love of Jesus that got me saved. It wasn't the fear of hell. It's just I could not believe that he died for me out of love for me. I just didn't make sense in my finite mind. And when I finally understood that, he, I knew he really loved me. And I'd be a fool not to give my life to him. 2 Corinthians 9.14, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. We only live through him. What impact would Jesus have made if he caved into his fears and said, I'm not doing this? Herod's going to kill me, so I'm not going to do this. Well, what would that leave my opinion of his love for me? Where would that leave that? Yeah, no. He showed his love for me on that cross at Calvary. wonder if Todd Beamer sat back down on the floor and said, I'm afraid. I'm just afraid to do anything. Hundreds more would have died. But out of love for his Savior and out of love for people, he made the ultimate sacrifice and, and just uh, went after those attackers and ended up dying for it. Romans 5, 7, and 8 says, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet preadventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commended his love towards us, that in, in that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. Boy, we've got to get these scriptures down in our hearts and minds. Right? I started writing a booklet years ago when I read that verse 34. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which, uh, which killeth the prophets and stonest them that are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together as a hen doth gather her brood under her wings and would not. And I, in the name of that book, it was going to be called The Curse of Calvinism. 
This is a debate that's been going on for centuries. Literally, Calvinistic views, Arminian views, and, our, and then there's our view, right, that the, somehow God works the will of man and the sovereignty of God together. And I started writing that book, and I don't, I don't know if I'll ever finish it, and the reason is I stopped because I became concerned about me. I was becoming more obsessed or involved in trying to win an argument against Calvinism than it was about trying to win souls to Christ, which was what God had called me to do and what I'd been doing. I, I was spending more time on that than I was doing the thing that he called me to do. And verse 34 was one of the many verses that I used to back my claims, but they have a whole lot of verses on their side too. But when thinking about this verse, three things came to mind. I want to give them to you because it just, it just helped me understand a little bit how far off Calvinism is. But I, and I'm not preaching, a, uh, you know, I'm, I don't want to get off track here, a rabbit trail. But these are important things. One thing is this. Why would God frustrate himself? Have you ever thought about that? What purpose would a sovereign God have in frustrating himself? Call it what you want, but this, my friends, is a cry of frustration. He's saying, how often would I have gathered thy children and you would not? That's a cry of frustration. That's every parent's cry, isn't it? How often did I try to get my son or my daughter to be in the right direction and they just would not listen to me? And they end up suffering the consequences of, of not listening. So you can call it what you want, but it's a cry of frustration. Jesus was clearly frustrated with their decision to reject him and his offer of salvation. Here's the second thing. What purpose would God have in forsaking his own creatures? I'm going to have kids just to send them to hell? That's what I'm going to do? I'm, I want to have kids just so I can kill them? You know, uh, every creature is a creature of God, and am I right? Am I right? Yeah. Is our problem God's fault? Absolutely not. Right? I, I made these decisions. I'm the one who became a sinner. I'm the one who disobeyed and rebelled against him. The problem came when he created uh, came when he when his created creatures chose to adopt Satan as their father. And we talked about that this morning, the father of lies. God birthed us, but Satan bound us by winning us over to himself. We rebelled against God and chose to disobey him. And the Bible says all of us did this. All of God's creation went astray. But a good and gracious God, what did he do? He shed the blood of his innocent son to redeem us all. All of us. No one's left out. All we like sheep have gone astray. We all have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord laid on him what? The iniquity of us all, of everybody, right? For, uh, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3.10 uh, uh, says, as is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. So I think about 1 Timothy 2, uh, 3 and 6 says, but this is a good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom to all to be testified in due time. Which brings to my third point. What purpose would God have in foiling his own plans? I mean, these are all just, just common sense logic. I'll pick on Travis in a minute. 
he does landscaping. So what purpose would it be for him to go out there and do this beautiful landscape and then afterwards take the tractor and just tear it all up? What purpose would, would he have gotten out? Just, uh, oh, it just felt good to do that. You know, like a little kid when they make a uh, Lego lock thing and they just want to smash it down. What Jesus was saying is, I had great plans for Jerusalem, but they would not listen to me. Would God birth children just to foil their own plans? Is there any parent in this sanctuary who would say, I hope my son fails. I hope my daughter fails. I'm telling you, would God do that? Would God choose one child to be redeemed and another child to to remain a reprobate? One child to go to heaven and I'm going to let the other child go to hell? Obviously, he has every right to do that if he pleases. That's the obvious thing. He has every right to do that if he pleases. But does that make sense to you? This is one of the many attributes that makes our God different from all other gods. He loves everybody. He forgave everybody. When he died on the cross, he died for everybody. Because that's our God. That's the God we serve. That's what makes him different from all other gods that are out there in the world today. That's because they were all created by him and for his purposes. Therefore, he's not willing that any should perish. Allah's not that way. He's okay with people perishing. If they're not, you know, if they're not Muslim, Muslim, or however you pronounce that. John 3.14 says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Do you remember Jason Mann was here just a few weeks ago? He sent me this meme, and it showed the, the bronze serpent, and it's got Moses holding the bronze serpent, right? And it's got... Some of the people are there going, I wanted to be saved. I tried to lift my head. I couldn't lift my head up to be saved. And then there's others that are looking up saying, I didn't even want to get saved. Now I'm, I'm going to get saved because I can't take my eyes off it. That's, that's how ludicrous it is to think that God is just forcing people to do one thing or the other without the will of man involved. Jesus created everyone. He died for everyone. He'll save anyone who will come to him. Here's the second point. Saving souls means looking for opportunities to save people. You know, Todd Beamer must have sat back there saying, how am I going to do this? i got to look for an opportunity or an opening, you know, or something so that I can help stop this evil. Uh, I tell you this, I love this church. I love preaching, but I also love the sanctuary. I do. I just love this place. It's holy ground to me. It's where the plans of Jesus are revealed. And, and, and they're carried out right here in this church. I'm standing right in a holy spot here in, uh, behind an, al- an altar and standing in a pulpit that he has put here for people to hear about his son and to hear the truth of God's word. I can tell you this, the moment Todd knew those hijackers took over the plane, he was developing a plan, right, to stop them and save the people on that plan. And that's what I like about church. It's all according to the plan of God. At some point, he must have thought he has to put, uh, he has to put a plan in, into, uh, into action. And now think about it. We quote it often. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Luke 19.10. The moment Jesus was old enough, and I'm telling you this, his reverence never changed for God. He, he was looking forward to fulfilling his Father's plan. 
That's what I love about church. Meeting with Jesus in his sanctuary and, and listening to him. I can, I can preach this message all day long about this subject on mine, and somebody's going to be, it's going to prick somebody's heart, and it will only be in reference to the, the truth that I'm preaching because he's working in every one of your hearts here today. Growing up on his way to the cross, Jesus took every advantage he had, uh, every opportunity he had to foil Satan's plans and to fulfill his father's plan. Ultimately, it happened at the cross. But he was saving people. He was, he, I, I thought about He made the blind to see. He fed th- thousands with a few fish and a few loaves of bread. He raised people from the dead. Every p- opportunity he had, what did he do? He used it for God's glory. That's who we are in this sin-cursed world. We, ne- we use, use every opportunity we have to bring God glory to lift up Jesus Christ. Bramer was looking for an opportunity to foil their attempt to kill people and keep these people alive. You know, I'm sick of seeing people die without Christ. I'm telling you the truth. I don't like watching people die, period. But to see them die without Christ, it just grieves my soul. And there's tons of them out there that think they got it all together. Beamer was looking for an opportunity. I look for every opportunity I can to spare somebody uh, their lives. Uh, you know, he gave his own life so others would live. Uh, I think a part of our lives doesn't mean dying so much for Jesus. It's just giving up your life to serve Jesus and to do what he's asked you to do. God put on his heart to do something, and he sees that opportunity. And he's put something on every one of your hearts, and he's asking to seize that opportunity. I am sure there were other believers on that plane, aren't you? I've never been on a plane yet, and I've flown hundreds of times where there wasn't someone on the plane that knew Jesus Christ as their Savior. And I'll bet there was somebody else on that plane. Why didn't they get up and do it? Don't you think they were caused, uh, called the same way as he was to try to stop this evil? Well, they got caught up in their fears. That's all it was. The difference is Todd Bramer faces fears. He sees the opportunity to save others. And when you think about Jesus here facing the cross, Jesus was a man. He had to face his fears. He said, now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this hour, he said, came I unto this world, John 12, 27. So the cause to Jesus was much greater than caving into his fears. The cause was much greater than escaping his own pain. The cause was much greater than securing his own comforts. Todd Bremer, Beamer said he was not going to be a pawn of the hijackers. And I'm here to tell you today, we should have that same, that same attitude. We are not going to be a pawn to these hijackers. He determined he was going to do uh, going to get this, not going to succumb to the fears. And, and Jesus said this. Here's what he said. He was determined. He said, nevertheless, I must walk today and tomorrow, verse 33, and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet perish out of Jerusalem. You know what he's saying? Jesus said, he said his course was not yet finished, for he would walk today, tomorrow, and thereafter. He had no plans of stopping because of the fear of being killed in Galilee. No plans of stopping. Uh, it, it, it cannot be that a prophet perish out of Jerusalem. Every prophet Jesus had sent to them, they had killed. Everyone he sent to them before they had And now what they're going to do is kill the one that sent them. Right? They were gonna, he was going to lay down his life. They missed their opportunity to save themselves. Here's, here's the thing. Don't miss yours. You know, saving souls means I look for opportunities to triumph over evil 
and to fulfill the cause of saving lives. I want to see people saved here in this area like never before. I, I just think this has got to be our primary focus, getting people saved. Saving souls means laying down my fears, right, so that others may live, and secondly, looking for opportunities. Uh, because there's people out there, the Holy Spirit's already Im impacted their hearts, and they're just waiting for you to come. They're waiting for you to say something. And here's the last thing, and we're through. It means leaving my seat so others can sit with God. What do I mean by that? Do you know Paul made the most amazing statement in all of Scripture? He said in Romans 9, 3, For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren and my kinsmen according to the flesh. My kinsmen according to the flesh. Do you know what he's saying there? He was willing to give up his salvation with Christ so that his brethren would be saved. In other words, he was willing to give up his seat next to the Savior in order so somebody else, his brethren, could sit with the Savior. That's an amazing statement, and that's the attitude that is pleasing to God. There's no way you can give up your seat. Once you're saved, you're always saved. Paul knew that. He wouldn't have made that statement not knowing that. He knew he was saved, but it was the attitude God looked at. Willing to give up whatever I have so that others to be saved. I mean, that's powerful, isn't it? It wasn't Todd Beamer's responsibility to fight those terrorists. That's not why he was on that flight. He wasn't an air marshal. He was a business executive, probably sitting there comfortably in first class, reading a book. He was just a pastor who along the way came into this awful predicament and he did what he thought he had to do. They left their, their comfort, all of them left the comfort of their seats and they got involved. Now listen to the words of Paul and we'll close out with an invitation. But God who is rich in mercy, Ephesians 2, 4 through 6, for his great love wherein he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit, there it is, sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You do know Jesus left his seat in heaven to come down in this sin-cursed world and break the bondages of our sin and our rebellion? He didn't have to do that. But he left the comforts of home to come down and descend into hell for us. Can you imagine that? It's hard to imagine. That's how much he loves all of you. That's what he was willing to do. What are you willing to do? Do you know one of the responsibilities of every airline stewardess is to tell the passengers not to get involved? And that's probably what happened that day. In fact, I, I almost know it, is that when they were thinking about doing something, the airline started saying, don't get involved. Right? Just, just, just don't get involved. Let the authorities take care of her, how they have to do that. But because he got involved, he spared a lot of lives. Satan convinces Christians every day, don't get involved. You might lose your life. I think about my brother that just got shot to death. Because he was willing to get involved with the people that he loved. 
for Jesus' sake. Do you know our fears cause us every day to, co to come up with excuses to our responsibility to get out of our seats and get involved in Jesus' work? Just this past week, right? Look what we lost, a missionary who was shot to death by the very people he loved. He did not have to get involved. He didn't have to go there. I remember my first trip to Israel, my father was still alive, and he told me, he said, you shouldn't go there. I said, why? He says, it's, so term it's, it's turmoil and chaotic. He says, you might die over there. I said, but if God called me to go there, I said, who am I to say no? He didn't quite understand that. His fears are driving him. You know, Todd Beamer did not have the, uh, to get involved, but in overcoming his fears, he foiled a terrible attempt of evil. And as a result, look where we are now. We're much more safe in our airlines. There's a lot of things going on in this life that we're thankful for because of him. Jesus was not a sinner. Think about that. He was not a sinner. He did not have to get involved in our sinful affairs, but in doing so, what did he do? He foiled the, the, uh, the uh, works of Satan and spared our lives. 1 John 3, 8 says, He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of Man was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. You know what's so heartbreaking today? Is there's so many people, like passengers on a plane, thinking they're flying to their heavenly destination, and they haven't a clue that they're flying to their demise. They're just thinking, you know, going to church is going to get them to heaven. They think about doing all their good works going to get them to heaven. They're thinking about the few good things that they've done. You know, God's going to just pass over them and, and just say, oh, it's okay, then you, we'll put you in heaven. That's what they think. And I want to tell you this. As, as your new pastor, my challenge to you, everyone this morning, is let's roll. Let's roll. There's a lot out there that need us. There's a lot of lives that need to be saved. That's not another... Let's not, not let another soul die in our air without some, some attempt to, to save them. Let's take back our nation. Let's take back, uh, uh, especially our state. Let's take back what is rightfully God's. We've got souls to save and have work to do. We have the greatest opportunities of a lifetime to do, to do the right thing right now in one of the worst biblical areas in the nation. I believe this church will be full of people next week. I really believe it will be. If you've been faithful to do what I've challenged you to do, it'll be full of people. Now. After that message next week, I'm going to give an invitation to receive Christ. As I do every week, as I'm going to do right now. We, we will love on them coming in. We're going to love on them coming out. But we'd be fools if we would not leave them with knowing, without knowing the love of Christ. Do you know, I've listened to, the truth is, I've heard so many wonderful messages through my life, great messages, that leave the poor lost soul at the end of the message screaming for his or her, from his or her heart for their Savior and the invitation's not given. I, what must I do to be saved and no invitation is given? It's not going to be that way at Lighthouse. I hope you're okay with that. So let's roll. Right? Let's roll. Let's have that mindset. We're out there. We're going after the saved lives. That's what we're going to do. So let's bow our heads right now. With heads bowed and eyes closed, hearts open, if you haven't already, I invite you now to call upon Jesus Christ as your Savior.
accept his invitation to be saved. How do you do that? Well, it's pretty simple. The ABCs are first admit to Jesus you're a sinner, that you have no way of saving yourself from your penalty of your sin, and your sin debt, unfortunately, that you must pay uh, yourself unless you accept Christ is an eternal death separated from God in hell. And secondly, acknowledge that Jesus paid for your sin debt by dying in your place. He satisfied, satisfied the wrath of God. He saved you from hell. And he's offering you eternal life. And the, that, So remember this, that he's rich in mercy and he wants to save you. It's just a matter of you making that decision to accept the invitation. And that's the, finally the last thing, accept Jesus by faith. And the free gift of eternal life that he's offering you. All you have to do is just repent of your sins. That just means turn from your unbelief and then ask him to save you. God says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you're willing to call, he's willing to save. If you sincerely pray right now for Jesus to save you from your sin and receive him as your Savior, you'll be safe and secure in this family, in his family, both now and forever. So it won't matter if you're in a plane or in your living room. Your soul is secure in his hands and no matter what happens, the moment you die, you'll be with him forever. Who would by the raised hand say, Pastor, I want to be saved? Is there anybody in here by the raised hand would say that? I don't know if I'm saved, but I truly want to be saved. I want to be saved. I want to know for sure when I die that I'm going to heaven. Is there anybody by the raised hand? I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm just going to say amen. Is there anybody? I want to make sure there's nobody in here that's unsaved. And of course, if there's anyone listening on Facebook, you need to trust on your Savior. Let's all stand. As the music plays and Mike sings here, God has spoken to your heart, maybe in another way, about your commitment to his cause and his plan. That you want to be able to seize every opportunity that he gives you to help someone be spared from hell and have eternal life. Well, I'm going to ask you to do what I just preached. Just get out of your seat. Come to the altar. We hope that message was an encouragement to you. To stay up to date with us, please follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at LBC Schenectady. If you would like more information on how heaven can be your home, please visit lighthousebaptist.org slash the gospel.